You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So there's there's two things I want to talk about today. There's plenty going on, but um, I think we can squeeze these two in and call it a day. Um, one should be very, very brief. Actually, you know what? There are three things. I forgot. That's fine. Two of them should be brief, and then uh, the other one will kind of be the, the, the longer topic. So... I want to elaborate one more time. I've, I've been waiting for Mr. Numberman to do the work for me because I know there's tons of data out there, and I, I know we've talked about it pretty extensively, but he, he found some really, really interesting things. And again, part of what we do here is try to understand football, right? And you get it from different angles, right? You get a bunch of different shows. You got fantasy, you got the draft, you got whatever me and JJ do, and then you got Clayton doing film breakdowns, right? But I, I really want to understand things rightly and um i think this running back thing is actually interesting not not just to get involved in an argument but to to really hone in on something that's just kind of assumed right a a lot of what i know or believe or think is just kind of out there on a big picture scale like i know throwing is the most important and running is a little bit less and i know that data supports the idea that running isn't important but i don't know the specifics of it i just know that there's stuff out there floating around saying "Eh, it's not super important Mr. Numberman came through. I didn't even ask him. I just waited patiently because I know he's a diehard about this stuff, and he would listen to me fumble around talking about things, and he would he would have to bring a few things up, and he did. So I want to cover some things, just, just for a few of you that either are interested or are still not quite believers. He sent two articles. These are both from 538, which very sadly, I think is... I don't know if they pulled all of their NFL stuff or if it's just um, a lot of their uh, charting and whatnot that they got rid of. But, I mean, it's one of the better sites that's out there as far as um, giving us actual good content about the NFL and, and understanding things from a data standpoint. But the other good thing about this is the first article, let me see when the second one was. Um, the Yeah, the first article that we're going to look at was from 2017. So this is not necessarily a new phenomenon. In fact, Somebody, many people have posted a lot of things, but one of the things I saw recently was a chart basically showing the value, not even in terms of contracts, but draft value. It has plummeted, I think over the last, like, it was over 20 years. It's just been a straight decline. So the value of the position, it's not just, again, one of the arguments is, no, running back is valuable and everybody knows it, and that's why they're drafted in the first round, but then they just get screwed when the next, uh, you know, contract comes up. That's garbage. The value of, of running backs has plummeted even in the draft. Anyways, first article, running backs are finally getting paid what they're worth. Benjamin Morris, probably a pretty controversial title, (laughs) given the heated nature of uh of things it starts off being a productive rusher in the nfl takes a rare mix of skills and talents such as speed elusiveness vision and anticipation those who have excelled at it have historically been rewarded with team defining roles league accolades furious media attention and nice contracts to boot 
Of late, however, top rushers have seen their roles diminished and their pay stagnate. In the modern NFL, teams appear reluctant to commit resources to ball carriers like they used to. Perhaps this reflects the new offensive landscape in the NFL in which teams pass more and better than ever before. But it may also reflect a growing recognition that for all their talent, traditionally great running backs probably don't actually contribute that much to their team's chances of winning. I'll try not to read this whole thing, but it it flows pretty nicely so that there's not much you can skip here. Consider the case of Adrian Peterson, the 2012 NFL MVP and the only running back to win that award in the past 10 years. Peterson has made by far the most money for a running back, and he blew it all, in the NFL, uh, in NFL history after the Vikings paid him more than $12 million each year for the past six years. And, and again, from when this came out, that was a bigger amount of money. He's 32 years old and spent much of 2016 injured, but led the league in rushing as recently as 2015. As an unrestricted free agent this offseason, Peterson signed with the New Orleans Saints a modest $7 million over his two years and only $3.5 million guaranteed. In 2017, he's slated to cost less than Bengals backup running back Giovanni Bernard, not to mention uh, 10 different kickers. Oh boy, he just, he's, just, he's just poking the bear here. <laughs> oh boy. Then there's a chart here that just shows average cap value. And it says the average pay for top running backs has stalled average cap value of 16 highest paid players at each position. And it shows quarterback just going through the roof, offensive line, everything's going up. Running back was a very, very, very slow climb while everybody else was doing it. And it doesn't really have the years listed here, but it, it, it's flatlined. And again, this was in 2017. So this probably goes back to, I mean, I don't know, 2010-ish when, when I'm guessing when that line, when the flat line started. Anyways, it goes on and on to demonstrate very clearly that that all these that running back is is stagnating or even possibly declining. It says uh, there's another chart here. Uh, teams are spending less on running backs. Percent of money spent on the top 16 players at each position, and it basically shows everybody being relatively stagnant, um, with quarterbacks spiking. And at the exact moment, by the way, if you want to know where a lot of this is coming from, it's the quarterbacks. The exact moment that quarterback started spiking, which looks appears to be uh, about 2011-ish. Go figure around the time Aaron Rodgers was tearing up the league and everybody wanted an Aaron Rodgers. But at that same moment, running backs just plummeted. It, and then there's a sentence here. It says, relative to other positions, top running backs are slated to make around half as much in 2017 as they did at the start of the 2000s, which is crazy because, again, the cap is going up. So even if everything stayed the same as a percentage, the, the, it would go up, unless they're talking about a percentage, but it doesn't matter. Anyways, so why is this happening? Perhaps NFL teams have consciously devalued the running back, or perhaps it's just a multitude of decisions in many different circumstances that have happened to lead us here. But while the running back's new situation almost certainly results directly from the league shift toward pass-centric offenses, it may also stem from the league ever so slowly wisening up to the fundamental math of its own game. Much like with the three-point shot in the NBA, and this is the video that I played, it was the same thing, right? Eventually, they realized the importance of that. I don't know anything about the NBA. I don't care, but whatever. Making the same point the other guy made. Passing the football in the NFL has virtually always looked better on paper, and like the mid-range jumper, the NFL seems to be perhaps more slowly creeping in the direction of running just about as rarely as the situation the game theory require. Indeed, the history of the offense in the NFL is largely a story of running less and getting more efficient. The next chart is titled, Why Running Sucks, League Average Rush Percentage and Yards Per Play. And there is a nearly one-to-one correlation here between the rush percentage going down and the yards per play going up. I mean, it, it is identical as, the, as this moves. So it, it, it starts in about 1930, I would guess, and there is a 
sharp decline and literally like the angles and everything are identical as that goes down through about 19 let's say 51 yards per play goes up then the rush percentage kind of flat lanes flat lines from about 1951 to maybe 1965 ish and yards per play flat lines then at about 1965 to about 1975 running spikes in that exact moment yards per play goes down to almost the identical proportions and, and by the way just just to get us caught up here in 1920 or 1930-ish when this started it was about 75% running and the average yards per play was probably about 3.5 when that decline went all the way down to about 1955 or whatever it went down to probably about 55% running so about 75 down to 55 and it went from about 3.5 yards per to a little over five yards 5.1 yards per right so anyways then it starts to go down as rush percentage goes back up and then it goes back down to about 50% in about maybe 1980. And it's just been a very, very, very slow decline from there, from about 1980 until modern day. And it's been a very, very, very slow increase in yards per play as the, the rushing percentage has gone down. So it went from about 51% down to, I don't know, it's off the chart, but let's say 45% where we're at now today, probably closer to 40. I feel like 45 is high, but maybe not. And now, 2017, the NFL is at its peak of 5.5 yards. It says, over time, teams have been passing more and more, and they've been picking up more and more yards as a result. Part of that is that the teams are getting better at passing, but it's also that they have gotten better at knowing when to pass. And of course, those two trends play well together. As teams have gotten better at short, high-percentage passes, the rationale for running in situations where you need less explosive but high-percentage plays has declined. That said, the NFL still has a long and easily easily demonstrable history of running way, way too much, even recently. And this ties into not only overusing running backs, but the, the reality that the NFL is probably still overpaying running backs. So people are getting mad, like, well, and this is exactly what I'm saying, where running backs are going to hold out and be like, we demand more money. You're not going to get paid because everybody sees the data and recognizes you're not worth it. And again, I understand that that's frustrating. And, and it's not even necessarily you as a running back aren't, aren't talented. It's just, number one, the lack of value that you personally are able to provide through running. And also, how big of a difference you as an individual, as a super talented individual, can make over and above that of somebody who is not as talented as you. And we're going to get into much more specific details, but it's, it's staggering. Anyways, continuing, it says, We can tell because we know how every play in the NFL since 2000 has affected a team's likelihood to win. It says that stat is called WPA, or win percentage added. And I, I know some people get upset about stuff like this. Well, this is just some arbitrary nonsense stat. It's not. It's, it's, it's finding numbers that give you answers to the specific question that you're asking. In other words, it's exactly right data. This isn't just arbitrary numbers that some guy in a basement made up just for fun. The likelihood that your team is going to win. And that's not arbitrary either because we have decades of data and all of that data tells us based on thousands of data points, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, every single time a, a team has ever run a play, it's a data point. It's not perfect, but we have a lot of data points to give you very specific things, right? It's very similar to EPA, expected points added. Based on where you're at, what are the odds that that you're going to score. This is based on where you're at in point A and then point B. What is the increased likelihood of you winning this game now, right? Anyways, 
It says WPA allows us to look at the results of a play beyond just yards gained, which is helpful since a successful run should positively impact a team's chances of winning, even if it picks up a few average yards, etc. Indeed, if every team played perfectly and everything was in-game theoretical balance, we wouldn't expect to see much difference between runs and passes at all. This is not the case. For starters, let's cut out a bunch of special circumstances and look at the most vanilla run-pass decisions possible. First and second down, with 5-10 to 10 yards to go, outside of the red zone, uh, outside of the last two minutes of either half, giving us about 278,000 plays to work with. This is where the traditional workhorse MVP-type running back butters his bread. Now, since the decision to run or pass is largely a function of how far ahead or behind the team is and how late in the game it is, let's break out results down by quarter and scoring margin before the play. It says, when, this is a chart now, when is it better to pass? Almost always. Average win percentage added for rushing and passing plays on first and second down with 5 to 10 yards to go, 2000 to 2016. So they broke down every single scenario, first down, second down, third down, at each yard line, right? So they got the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter. And then they simply looked at every single data point. They looked at point margin. So when you're down by 20 points and up by 20 points and everything in between. And they said, okay, when is it better to pass? They pointed out like two, two points ever. There is second quarter and then like up by... I don't know, 10 or something. There's, uh, he'll probably get into it, but there, there's two little points, and then they draw an arrow pointing to the one spot where it's basically a tie, and it says, maybe it makes sense to run here. And then there's one in the fourth quarter where it says, passing with a small lead is still better here. Anyways, continuing. Basically, there's pretty much no ordinary situation in which running produces better results than passing. If a team is more than 10 points ahead in the second quarter, running has seemed to do okay. And that's about it. Every situation we're running a lot is pretty standard, like up a few, then 10 points in the third and fourth quarters. Passing has done substantially better. Of course, some amount of run-pass balance is necessary, or defenses would completely tee off on pass every single time. And this is what Mr. Numberman has been telling me, which I, I kind of fluffed off a little bit. It's like, oh, come on, it's, it's a little bit more than that. But the point is, you only run so that you can pass. And, and the success of that run is almost irrelevant. Because the entire point is, we just need you to stay balanced so that we can continue passing because passing is always the best thing. It says, but this issue is likely overblown, talking about the run-pass balance, as pretty straightforward application of introductory game theory. If one option keeps producing substantially better results than the other, you should do it more often. It says, of course, running the ball has ancillary benefits such as burning time off the clock, uh, avoiding turnovers, gaining positive yards, which there are still turnover options there, obviously. Uh, gaining positive yards more consistently, picking up shorter yardage a higher percentage of the time, keeping the defenses honest, and so on. There may even be situations in which teams pass too often, such as with uh, two-point attempts. It says, that sounds like a lot of good uses for the run, but note that when it comes to these things, the quality of your running back, at least by conventional measures, like how many they gain, is of secondary importance. So again, even in situations where you're like, all right, right now it does make sense to run. We got to burn some time. We got to do this, that, or the other. It says the quality of your running back is of secondary importance. This is because even a great rushing attack is still worse at picking up yards than even a mediocre passing attack. The all-pro running back may gain uh, a lot of yards as his team funnels its offense through him, but many, or even most, of those yards are picked up in spots, like when a team is slightly up or down in the third quarter where passing would have been better. 
Anyway, skipping down a little bit, it says, none of which is to say the running back position will die out or that the league's unwillingness to pay a lot of them will continue uh, indefinitely. Running backs and rushing may still be an important part of the game, so long as you aren't trying to use it to pick up a bunch of yards on the ground. There are better ways of doing that and better things you could be doing with that slot. For example, running backs who excel in short yardage situations such as Marshawn Lynch, Jerome Bettis, and Marcus Allen, or third down or pass-catching running backs who can be legitimate multi-way threats in the spread offense may actually be more valuable than they seem, as these athletes who play running back, quote in quotes, get better at things like opening up the passing game and helping pick up first downs, the position may be leveraged more efficiently and see its value increase commensurately. So sort of a, a, a counterintuitive thing, finding these sort of bruisers that only pick up those two yards might actually be beneficial because they're better at keeping teams honest. As opposed to just your generic, you know, 4.5-yard James Starks running back, you know, 4.3. The, the alternative to that would be the receiving running back for obvious reason because you're passing. It says, finally, but committing money to quote-unquote workhorse running backs who provide little outside of their ability to grind out large number of yards inefficiently, a description that arguably fits Adrian Peterson as well as any great running back is like doubling down on buggy whips when everyone else is scrambling to make flying cars. All right, so that is all pretty definitive. There is a role for running back. There is a role for running. But in reality, in almost every single situation, passing the ball is better than running the ball, statistically speaking. If the goal is maximizing, you know, trying to get yardage... <laughs> Which I feel like is a, a, the goal. Anyways, the final one, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it, it, is, it is absolutely staggering the conclusion that it comes to. I'm just going to read this one paragraph here. And again, I, I, it just, it gave me chills how staggering it is. And it is the most damning thing I've ever heard in terms of running back value. It says, in fact, if all you know about a running play is the uh, in the NFL is the approximate field position of a team and the number def number of defenders near the line of scrimmage, you're able to predict the league-wide yard yardage per carry with an extraordinarily high degree of accuracy. 96% of yards per carry totals are explained by the offense's field position and the number of men uh, the opponent has in the box. How many defenders are in the box is almost certainly the most important factor in determining rushing success in football, so it follows that we should try to account for it. Then there's a chart. Distance and defenders explain 96% of rushing. Distance and defenders. So that means at most 4% of rushing success comes down to who is actually running the freaking ball. That's at most. That's assuming there are no other variables. You know, like offensive line. Which, honestly, I, I believe does account for more rushing success than running backs do. So, I would say at most it's 2%, but probably closer to 1% or maybe even a little bit less. But the chart shows actual yards per carry on one axis and predicted yards per carry using this formula. In other words, if you, you tell me where on the field you are, like what you're on the 50-yard line, 8 men in the box. What do you think the yards per carry was, the, the league-wide average was for, for that? And you point to it and you say, That's, that was, I can tell you. Well, actually, I can't based on this chart, but it's, it's a one-to-one -one correlation. The, the, the bottom line is, yes, there are going to be running backs you'd rather have you know, at the 50-yard line or, or whatever, but when you factor in how much the offensive line factors into this, 
how much the situation, the the uh, the down, the distance, the uh, the the field position, men in the box. There is so little room left over for the running back himself to impact the play. And I know you think back to Aaron Jones busting out a, br- a great run down the sideline, and, and it's like, you know, I would never say that he doesn't mean this, that, or the other. I understand what you're saying. I'm just telling you, if you want your team to win, you need to use the best available information. If you want to be the, the, the great savior of the universe, and, you know, I, I respect running backs, and I love everything that they do, and I think that they're important, and heck, they sure mean a lot to my fantasy team, and they make some great plays, this, that, or the other, and I'm going to pay my running back 20 million. You're, you're, you're failing. You're failing as, as you're, you're going backwards, right? Again, like I said yesterday, what more evidence than you need? The number one rushing team, the number 32 passing team had the number one pick in the NFL, in the, in the NFL draft. I mean, it's not just that every data point points generally in one direction. It's that every single piece of data that looks at this issue doesn't just generally say anything. It very specifically points to not just that running is less important, but it is it is just five steps above useless. And it really is just a matter of understanding its role in assisting and passing and how to be most efficient in doing that, how to utilize this tool to make you a better passing team. You can be a great rushing team, and you can, you can make some hay with it, but you're not going to win with that. But it's also why, you know, when, when you delve into the conversations about the draft and, and you say, well... You know, the data folks will say Bijan was a bad pick and Jameer Gibbs is a bad pick. And you're like, well, you don't understand. Like, this guy's special. It's, it's not about that. It's irrelevant to the conversation. He could be the number one running back in football. He could be literally Adrian Peterson, which was what the first article was about. And yes, that guy's going to gonna just annoy the living crap out of you, right? He's going to break that for Like Dalvin. Dalvin would once in a while run down the field and, and just uh, cause problems. He'd get those big breakaway runs. But... In, in the big picture, they're not an efficient way to help you actually win football games. And in fact, it could hurt you if you want to utilize them more. If you're going to lean on that person, which I don't think the, the, um, the Falcons may go down that road. They already have Tyler Algier, who's a, who was a phenomenal runner last year, and they leaned on him pretty heavy, as far as I can tell. They didn't throw the ball a ton. Now they go out and get Bijan, and yes, I know he can, he can catch the ball, but if you look at this two-headed monster and say, we're just going to run the ball a ton. And by the way, that's also where, you know, even Packer fans look at it like, oh, I think we're going to run the ball more and that's a positive thing and all that. It's really not. Your yards per attempt go down as your rushing attempts go up. So running the ball more, unless in your mind that's going to make us pass better, which it may, but we're going to be passing less, which is a negative. So for a, th- this is why I also don't know that I, that I necessarily buy it because I think Matt LaFleur and the Green Bay Packers have done a lot to try to stay on the cutting edge. I went over this already. Like, you know, even even A.J. Dillon in terms of moving the direction that the NFL seems to be going. And you could say, well, that flies in the face of what you just said. Not necessarily because he's that Marshawn Lynch hammer. But that's also why, you know, I, it's like, well, Rodgers was the one that did all the passing. I don't necessarily know that that's true. Maybe, but I don't know that Matt LaFleur just wants to run all the time. And if he does, I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. I think maybe being a more efficient running team can be beneficial, but again, only insofar as that helps to make you a really good passing team. I mean, if, if, if we want to turn this into a team that is a powerhouse, we have to turn this in the, into a team that is a powerhouse passing attack. It doesn't mean you can't have both. You can have both, but the focus isn't rushing. If, if, if we're going to be a good running and passing team, great. I love that. If you're going to be a great passing team and a terrible running team, I love that too. 
If you're going to be a great running team that struggles to pass, we're going to be a bad football team. That's the bottom line. And that's, you know, the, the, the final thing I'll say on this, I was thinking about this the other day. It's not just running back. Think about it. The NFL focuses on passing. How do you know? What's the most important position? What, what's the highest paid position in football? The most valuable position? It's the guy that throws the passes. What's the next most important? Just generally. Tackle. Why? Because that's the guy that protects the guy that throws the passes. What else? Edge rusher. That's the guy who tries to stop the other team's passer from throwing the passes. What else? Wide receiver. That's the guy that catches the passes. What else? Corner. That's the guy that stops the guy from catching the passes. All the top positions, all the way down the line, correlate to the passing game. All the low-value positions, the ones that we generally don't see as valuable, of course, they all have value, but not as valuable. Linebackers. They do play a role in, in passing, but they are, they're kind of like hybrids between stopping the pass and stopping the run. And all the ones that actually do get paid are the coverage linebackers. Running backs, very similar. Very low value because they associate that with running the ball. Now, if you happen to be a really good receiver or whatever, you know, a, a, I don't know that there are a ton of those guys, the, the Alvin Kamaras or whatever. Well, there you go. Tight end generally a pretty low value. Now, if you're a pure receiving tight end, like Travis Kelsey or something, you're going to get big time paid. If you're Mercedes Lewis and you're more of a blocker, you're not going to get paid. Not as much. You know, guards. I mean, he's right next to the tackle. Why doesn't he get more money? He gets less because he's less associated with pass blocking and a little bit more. It's just the ratio shifts a little bit more. Plus, I think as we've noticed, as you get more toward the interior, you notice how there's less sacks given up because there's less space. So we don't have to really worry as much about you giving up pressures and sacks because less valuable centers are still going to give up less sacks. So we're, we're, we don't need to allocate as many resources to you because you don't impact positively or negatively our passing attack as much as guards and guards not as much as tackles. All the money is really just a reflection of how much do you impact the passing game. And the more you impact the passing game, the more money you make. The less you impact the passing game, the less you make. How much do kickers make? Nothing. Long snappers, nothing. Punters, nothing. You know why? Because they impact the passing game almost zero. I'm not going to say exactly zero, but almost. You know, you affect field position and whatnot, which can help us in the passing game. But because you're almost zero, you almost get paid zero. I mean, you're getting like league minimums here. That's all the money is. If you want to know how much how much a position is going to get paid, answer the question, how much do you impact the passing game? And running backs trying to argue that running is important as their way of selling themselves is a lost cause. They're never going to be able to sell themselves with that sales pitch because it's a failed sales pitch. If you want to, you know what you got to do? Do what Le'Veon Bell did. You remember what Le'Veon Bell did? I'm pretty sure it was Le'Veon. He said, no, I'm a wide receiver. I, Jimmy Graham did it. Jimmy Graham said, dude, I'm in the slot more than 50%. I'm a receiver. I want receiver money. I think Le'Veon played that same game. Look how much they're throwing to me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not a running back. I'm a receiver. That's the sales pitch. The sales pitch is, you can't pass without me. I keep them honest so that the quarterback can throw the ball. I also catch the ball. I also pass block. You want to keep this guy clean? Fine. You want me standing in the pocket and taking those hits? Fine. You want to bring somebody else in that's going to get pushed right over so your quarterback goes into the dirt? Pay somebody else. You want money? Start selling that. If you keep selling, we run the ball and running is important, you're going to lose. It's the bottom line. And again, we're still trending in that direction. At some point, it'll flatline because there is a value. The only reason it continues to trend down is because we've overvalued it for so long. But once it hits the value point, it'll stay there. And we may be there. I don't know. But I know running backs are ticked about it. 
And I understand that. I mean, they, they used to be superstars, and it used to be a path where, man, you can get big-time paid as a running back, and some of them still relatively do. I mean, $10, 12 $13 million isn't uh, anything to... It's not terrible, but when you used to be one of the big superstars who got one of the big money contracts, and now you're basically like a guard, yeah, they're pissed. <laughs> they're super pissed. And I understand it, but, but they also need to be smart and recognize they're not going to win. Because the NFL has found out it doesn't matter. And, and for those that maybe will reach across the aisle and say, you know what, you're right, I will take you up on that. They're going to fail, and it's just going to be more data to show that it's a bad decision. And again, look at the Bears. The Bears were all the data you needed to see. A team that said, man, this guy can't throw, let's lean on running. And they were unbelievably good at it. And they got the number one pick, and they lost 10 in a row. They dominated on the ground. They didn't accidentally win one game in their last 10. 2020, man, the Green Bay Packers, unstoppable number one passing team in football. Got stymied by a Tampa Bay team that shut it down, just like they did in the regular season. You, you want to stop the Green Bay Packers at their best? You stop Aaron Rodgers from passing. That's always been the formula. And it's right. <laughs> if you can stop Rodgers from passing, you're going to win. Any game you've ever watched as a Green Bay Packers fan, when you've seen Rodgers frustrated because he can't, he can't, whether it's, you know, the, the offensive line isn't giving him time, he's on the ground, his guys aren't getting open, they're not on the same page, you see that frustration, you know we lost. It was over. Didn't matter how the ground game was doing. Honestly, it didn't really matter how much the defense was holding up. It matters that Aaron Rodgers found a way to get back on his feet, get this thing running again, get the offensive line freaking to wake up and start blocking and guys getting open and catching passes. If we can do that, we can win the game. But if we couldn't, game over. So, anyways, again, it, it, it is beyond definitive. I like running backs. They're fun to watch. They, they, they do some great things for us on the ground sometimes. Aaron Jones has got us out of some pinches, and he's had some great breakaway plays, and, and he's so much fun to watch. I, I, I give you all that. But you build a team around your running back, you build the team around running, you're going to fail, period. All right, final thing I wanted to address before the break. Uh, squeeze this in real quick. Justin Fields guaranteed he's going to throw for 4,000 yards this year, and Kurt Bankert came out and said he will do it. So honestly, my first thought when I when I saw this was, yeah, maybe, I don't know, let's look at it. Let's be intelligent and, and think what it would it take for Fields to get to 4,000 yards. I don't know what he threw last year. I'm, I'm not sure. I know he didn't throw the ball a lot, which makes it tough. But let's just see. Maybe, it, maybe it's just a small tweak. If he can just up 10% of his passes or something, maybe he could get over that mark. I don't, I don't really know. But we should be intelligent about it. Here's the original tweet from Dove Clive. Uh, I shouldn't say original, but Dove Kleiman or whatever tweeted this. Bears quarterback Justin Fields says he's guaranteeing he'll be the first quarterback in team history to throw for 4,000 yards in a single season um, per so-and-so. Quote, I will. I plan on doing it this year, too. I plan on doing it this year. Fields passed for 2,242 yards in 15 games last season. The Bears did add a ton of weapons around him. No, they didn't. Uh, so he's... Uh, so... He has every chance to make the jump and fulfill his guarantee. Okay. It's a staggering that they're saying things like tons of weapons. Yes, if you include Robert Tunyon and guys on that level, then yeah, they added some people. Or, of course, guys like, uh, you know, that were added last year too. Then, then yeah. But one of the biggest things is yards per attempt. And Fields wasn't terrible. I mean, technically it's 20. Uh, that's not true. Let's get rid of some of these. It's a little lower than uh, 16th is what he was tied for. 7.1 yards per attempt. That's not terrible. In order to hit 4,000 yards, he would need to throw 564 times. That would be more than Jalen Hurts, 
who was the 10th highest in terms of passing attempts. So he would have been 10th if he had done that. So if we keep the 7.1 yards per attempt the same, then Justin Fields, who passed the 27th most, and by the way, um, the he, he, was, he was dead last of anybody that played 15 games. Davis Mills played 15 games. He ranked 15th. Justin Fields was, uh, three. if we look at it on a per-game basis, it's horrifically low. But he would have to go from 27th in passing attempts, probably dead last in passing attempts per game, to 9th or 10th, I guess. Do we think a team that decided that the best way to play would be to go back to the 1940s, especially for a team that has a guy that runs a lot. And, and yes, Jalen Hurts is here, but I don't think Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields are the same. I think maybe Jalen Hurts and um, Lamar Jackson would make more sense. The most attempts Lamar has ever thrown is 460, by the way. That was 16 games back in 2019. That was his MVP season. He threw for 3,492 yards. So the year that he won MVP through the most passes of his entire career, he had less than 3,500 yards. By the way, Lamar has also never had wide receivers, so that kind of, you know, you lose that whole shtick about, well, he didn't, now he, didn't, he didn't have wide receivers, and now he does. Well, Lamar, to this day, I don't think has ever really had very good wide receivers. But, I mean, look, it's not just a hate thing. It makes no sense. Look, let, let's, let's do an optimistic case here, right? Somehow we're trying to get him up to what Lamar did the year he won MV freaking P. By the way, the full quote from Kurt Banker, Justin Fields will, all caps, do that this year if he can stay healthy, right? Because a couple of games is going to make a difference. The NFC North will feel like the AFC North this year, just a uh, long dogfight to see who comes out on top. This, by the way, is why I also don't really trust all the film breakdowns. There's some good information, but one thing, even if you look at, um, who's the guy that I was watching? Uh, I can't get Kurt Russell out of my head and Kurt Bankard out of my head. Kurt Warner. There we go. I knew it was Kurt, but I was like, maybe it's not. I don't know. He, he breaks down one game. You would think if he watched every single game, every single throw of every single game to do a breakdown, he would have multiple instances of like, here's some of the positives, here's some of the negatives. He just does one game. So I'm pretty convinced he just picks one game. And in the, in, in the case of Justin Fields, the one that I watched, it was his highest graded game via PFF. So what do I think he does? I think he goes and finds the best game that they played, and then he reviews it, and he talks about it. But even beyond that, you're telling me, Kurt Bankert right here, who just said Justin Fields will get 4,000 yards based on no information. If he did a Justin Fields film breakdown, he would be completely impartial? No, he would not. That's not to say he wouldn't say, look, he, you know, the foot, this is wrong and that's wrong. But it's going to be heavily focused on here's the positive, and um, you can clearly see the, 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 the good here, and he's going to get so good and all that. I just, I just don't buy it. There's so much opinion that goes into it. Which is unfortunate because I genuinely think if they could be completely unbiased, and it's not just the Justin Fields love specifically, but quarterbacks supporting quarterbacks, if they could be completely unbiased and just give people like me who don't know these things good information, a lot of times they still do. They can still talk about the coverages and what he's seeing and all that stuff, which is great. But I know for a fact you're being overtly positive for no reason. Because again, it's just based on nothing. Kurt Bankert is saying he will, all caps, do it this year if he can stay healthy. He missed two games. Should we go ahead and add up those two games for him and see if he gets to 4,000 from the 2,000 and freaking, what did he have, 2,200 yards? 150 yards a game, LOL. So we add 300, 
which puts us at 2,542 yards if he was healthy all year last year and stayed about where he was, which is, by my math, 1,500 yards short. Which seems kind of doable until you realize he only threw for 2,500 over the course of 17 games, which is probably the lowest in the entire NFL. And again, why are we shooting so high? Like, why don't we set the bar a little lower? He'll crack 3,000 this year if he can stay healthy. I can get kind of behind that, right? They'll throw a little bit more, have some more attempts, right? Maybe maybe a little bit more than 7.1 yards per attempt. You bump it up to 7.5. So say he has, let's see, where, where is he? Here's 318. Let's bump him up to, like, uh, boy, oh boy. Andy Dalton in 14 games had 378. Let's call it, uh, let's call it 400 attempts. Tua had that in 13 games. Let's say he has 400 attempts. Now, even then, he would need 10 yards per attempt. The highest was Tua at 8.9, so I don't think that's going to work. So he would need to actually do more than 400 attempts. So I guess we have to go to 500 attempts, just really, really ramp it up. And he needs to go from 7.1 to 8 yards per attempt. Only three quarterbacks in the NFL had that. Pat Mahomes, Brock Purdy, Tua Tungavailoa. That's it. So if he can go from... 200 uh, no 318 up to 500 up to 500 and go from 7.1 to 8 yards per attempt he'll crack exactly 4000 which are massive jumps do you, do you understand my frustration with this why why are we doing this i mean again based on last year's numbers 4000 is top 10 it's top 10 for a team that runs the ball more than anybody else. But of course, all that's going to change, and they're going to throw the ball. Now it's going to be more than most teams, and it's going to be a higher yard. You know what? It's not just they're going to improve, and they're going to do a little bit more, and they're going to do a little bit better. It's they're going to do it better than everybody, and not because of his running, because of his passing. Come on, man. (laughs) Just whatever. Again, it's not impossible, but the team has to change dramatically. And I'll be honest, I hope that they do, because the team was a disaster when they threw the ball. I mean, it probably did hurt them to go from passing to running, but it, it was it was super bad. But whatever. He, it, it, no, the, the, the information I'm looking at does not lead me to believe that he will throw for 4,000 yards. Lamar has never done that. And the, and the Ravens are a much better team, offensively and defensively. Lamar is going is to have much more attempts. At least he had it back then. Now, now he can't seem to stay healthy, but he has more attempts because they have a great defense that's going to put their offense back on the field. They've had good uh, teams with, with great tight ends and you know a, a good rushing attack to kind of keep things in balance and all that nonsense. They've at least got something. They don't have wide receivers, but they got something. Of course, you've got a mobile quarterback who can keep the, chick, the, the chains moving. That dude's never got there, but he's going to leapfrog Lamar this year. Okay, got it. He's going to leapfrog Lamar's MVP season. Yeah, that's that, and, and, and he's going to guarantee it, and Kurt Bankert also guarantees it's going to happen. So I can guarantee that I'm going to put that in my bookmarks as, a, uh, as one of many receipts. I have a receipts folder just for bookmarks. Uh, a, a receipts folder bookmark just for receipts. That's all it is. Just pure receipts. Oh, you wouldn't dunk on Kurt Banker, would you? He's a Packers legend. Yes, I would. Mostly be directed at Fields and Bears fans, but, I mean, Kurt didn't have to go out and put himself out there like that. Guaranteeing that a guy that doesn't throw the ball is going to get 4,000 yards. Okay. Anyways, let's go ahead and take a break. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddies, where you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. It would be greatly appreciated. Or just hit me up on Venmo at Packernet Podcast. Please check out Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. 
You can find out more about them at FertileGroundRanch.org. Lastly, please uh, check out GrassFedCooperative.com. If you're looking to get a big old box of meat delivered to your doorstep, um, it's a very easy and convenient way to do that. I know there's a lot of options out there, different sites that offer different things, meats and whatnot, but um, this is grass-fed, which is a very sought-after and generally seen as higher quality of meat. So if that's your style, at least check it out, see if there's anything in there that appeals to you. And remember, the promo code so you can get 10% off your order is PACKERS10. Nope, I lied. PACKER10. P-A-C-K-E-R-10. And if you have any questions, please reach out to me and I will uh, I can get you in touch with the guy that's supplying the meat if you need it. So anyways, why don't we take a break? We'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Alright, guess what we're doing now? Something you all love and I hate. Take a wild guess. You know what it is? Free agency! That's right, the only time I want to talk about free agency is after the free agency period. (laughs) No, but the reason I want to bring it up is because there is some relevance. I've been mentioning for the past couple weeks or whatever that, you know, when you look at our roster, I I think a lot of it comes down to we need to try some of these guys out and see if we have what we need at the position. And then if not, we may need to go out and look elsewhere, right? Right. Positions like, for example, I think defensive tackle is an option. It's probably relatively unlikely, 
but we don't have a massive amount of experience. I know Slayton's from 2021, but he's never really had a full, I shouldn't say he's never had a full-time role, but you know what I mean. Devontae Wyatt and Jonathan Ford and Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks, these are all massive question marks. So if we're talking Kenny and Slayton, and then kind of like nobody that we really want to have a starting role, it's not impossible. Safety is a big one, right? I mean, what do we have? We have a lot of people here, but... Is Owens or Moore or Johnson, Levitt, are any of these guys legit, or do we maybe need to go out and find anything else than what we have because this is horrific? Maybe even wide receiver. I, I would very much doubt it again. Or tight end. You know, if Musgrave and Kraft just aren't exactly where they need to be again. I don't necessarily buy it, but it's worth asking the question. Quarterback. It's worth asking the question, who's out there, and if you if you had to go get somebody who would it be and we'll we'll leave it at that so um, i'm already on record with quarterback i don't know what's going on with matt ryan i don't know what his asking price is it's probably too high i again i thought i heard something about him working tv deals or something maybe that's a thing but all things being equal assuming the price is something the packers are willing to pay that would be my preference for very obvious reasons he's worked very well with matt lafleur in the past he understands generally what this system is and how it works. Having Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator, and again, Matt LaFleur as his quarterback coach, um, a veteran that, yes, can step in if things go south, being injury or whatever else, but also can be a mentor to Jordan Love if he's interested in that role. But again, that's not really my concern. It's just assuming everybody's good between the team and the player. That would be my preference. Is there a wide receiver? I think there are a couple options. There there aren't any slam dunks, in my opinion, but there are a lot of guys that could serve a purpose. One of my favorites, and I think I was on this bandwagon either last year or early this year, is Jarvis Landry. I think I liked him last year. It didn't maybe make sense because he's more of a slot guy and we had Randall Cobb. Um, but I don't know that we have a legit designated slot receiver this year. Obviously, you would assume uh, that that's going to be Jaden Reed, but you never know. Um, again, the, the biggest negative would be Jarvis would probably steal from Jaden Reed, which would stunt his growth, which is not great. Um, Jarvis also has not really been a top performer since 2020. He had a lot of injury issues, all that stuff. But, you know, I don't know him as a dude, but from what I do remember and understand, very intense guy in a positive way. Not like screaming at refs and, and players, maybe. But in terms of his positive energy and and you know talking to his teammates saying listen you, you got to put in the work you know and for a team that's trying to build culture i feel like he could be a culture guy and a great tutor you know a phenomenal route runner and great understanding of offense and all that stuff to be able to help not just Jaden reed but romeo and christian and wicks and all these guys do i want this no i don't i don't think he'd be a big help to the team necessarily in terms of actual offensive production and i think it would ultimately stunt the growth of of guys that should be getting those reps but I would be tempted to go in that route for those reasons. Um, I also, I mean, there, there are several options that are similar to that. T.Y. Hilton, um, he's 33 years old, going on 34 this year. He's had a decline pretty much since 2018. I mean, 2018 was a, a big spike year, and then 2019 he was you know, 75 PFF grade. It's been kind of a slow creep down, but he was still, no, I guess he, he didn't play a ton, which is part of the problem, is another guy that really just can't seem to stay on the field. But again, veteran and all that kind of stuff. Julio Jones is still technically an option for similar reasons, although I don't know much about Julio and his ability to come in and help with the culture. I think if we're more interested in maybe some kind of a big swing, a guy that showed something and then kind of fell off, still is relatively 
has youth on his side, but not really, it would be Kenny Galladay. Um, Kenny Galladay is somewhat of an anomaly. He's a big dude. Packers like the big guys. He was phenomenal in Detroit. I mean, he was he was going to be like I mean, he was a legit number one wide receiver in Detroit, 2018, 19, 2020. Um, then the Giants, you know, sold out big for him, and he was horrific with the Giants. And and I don't know why. It's one of those things where the pro personnel staff would have to assess it. But if if you told me, you know, take a swing for a guy that really could be a legit number one wide receiver, I would be tempted to say Kenny Galladay. Now he's almost thirty. He's twenty nine point seven years old. Um, for reference, Jarvis Landry and Sammy Watkins are basically the same age. They're both 30. And if Gutekunst really just wanted to be a douchebag and stick it to Aaron Rodgers, we could just go get Jay Kumaro. So there's that. But yeah, I, I think my favorite culture pick is Jarvis, who's 30 years old. And yes, win healthy. I mean, again, it's very similar to Sammy Watkins. You can make the same case. He showed his ability to be good, at least for one year. There's reason to believe if he can be healthy, he can be a good wide receiver, but there's little reason to believe he can be healthy. I mean, that's Jarvis Landry, 30 years old, hasn't played a full season in quite a while, blah, blah, blah. Um, Bottom line, I don't want any of these guys. I think they're all bad decisions. I don't think any of them are going to reach their primes of what they were five years ago. But if there was a crisis, those are my thoughts. Tight end is interesting just because there are so many guys who have shown flashes. Amazing, Richard Rodgers is 31 years old. Can you believe that? I thought I would have thought Richard Rodgers is 39 and out of the league. He is 31 years old. But, I mean, there's guys like Max Williams, who are 29 years old, who actually at least had two really solid years. He's been around for a little bit of a while. He was in Baltimore and all that, but um, it's so unbelievably up and down. And last year he played 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 games, had three targets, three receptions, 18 yards. That's all he did graded out horribly. Adam Shaheen, like, right? Showed some flashes. Kyle Rudolph, almost 34, but, you know, he did things occasionally. Cameron Brait. I mean, he was good in 2016 with Tampa, so maybe. <laughs> but it's it's just hard to find guys that are considered. I mean, you, you essentially would have to be looking, oh, Jalen Weidermeyer, remember that dude? He's already a free agent. <laughs> that was that was a funny situation in the draft where he was considered like a top prospect and then he just plummeted like crazy. I think he had a terrible combine or something. I don't know. It was a disaster. But you would have to just figure out what it is we're missing and and fill that role, right? So if if our uh, if Tucker Craft isn't that dude and we kind of just need like a big blocking guy, I mean, Mercedes is still there. Maybe you could still work something out with him. But again, I, I just I think we got what we need. I think running back is good. Offensive line... I don't really think there's a need. It's just kind of a question of who's going to do the job, right? I mean, it's sort of a worst-case scenario. Yash Nyman is our right tackle, and we keep everything the same, and we move on. I don't really see a need to bring anybody in. Defensive tackle, again, a lot of names, man. You know, I mean, these are all heavy hitters. The problem is they're they're all getting up in age, right? Shelby Harris, that's a, that's, that's a heck of a name, but he's 32. Michael Brockers, Akeem Hicks, Chris Wormley, Ndamukong Sue, Linval Joseph. These are some powerhouse names, but how many guys do you actually expect are going to come in and do it? Shelby Harris, I don't think so. Michael Brockers, I don't think so. Akeem Hicks, I mean, look, if we're just trying to set a floor for a guy that we think can just be average and, and can take some rotational snaps or whatever, fine. Take take Akeem Hicks. I think he could be average. Um, I mean, he's, his tackling grade over the last four years has been abysmal, but... He's been average other than that. I mean, he had nine pressures on 251 snaps. So that's just the worst. 
but he can set a floor somewhere. Uh, a guy that I do think is actually somewhat interesting would be Chris Wormley. Uh, played for Baltimore and then Pittsburgh, which, I mean, if you want to talk about setting the tone up front, those are two organizations that do not mess around when it comes to defense. Um, he's been a very consistent run defender, which I don't mind. Pass rush? No. I mean, he did have eight sacks in 2021, but the pressure rate was actually very low, so it was kind of a fluky kind of sack thing, I think. He's never had more than two sacks in a season outside of that. But yeah, he's been real consistent. In fact, last year was his best year ever as a run defender. Um, He is 29 years old. He'll be 30 this year, but he's 29. Probably got a little bit of tread left. I wouldn't mind taking a swing at a guy that, again, comes from a great defensive culture, two great you know, defensive teams, not incredibly old, doesn't provide a ton as a pass rusher, but is a solid run defender, has been every year except his rookie year, so 2018 through 2022. I wouldn't hate it. I think for the rest of them, I mean, you, you, you could certainly make a case, uh, and Dominican Sue, maybe, since Rodgers is gone, that, that maybe isn't quite as taboo, you know, because I know they kind of had a thing, but he's kind of a head case anyways. But Linval and Akeem Hicks and all these guys, as, as, as good as they've been in the past, uh, even Mike Pinnell, I would love to have him back just because I liked him when he was here. I actually thought he was a good football player. I didn't want him to leave. But uh, at this point in his career, n- no. it was. I mean, it was it was horrifically bad in Chicago. And the year before that in Atlanta also wasn't good. I mean, he's been with three different teams in three years, and that's for a reason. But again, Wormley, I would consider that one for sure, depending on the price. And a lot of these guys, it really probably has to do with their pricing themselves out. It's, it's kind of funny because I think a lot of the older players – are in a similar situation to the situation. Actually, they have the market value here. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, similar situation to running backs where they just overvalue themselves, right? Running backs look at it and they're like, dude, I am so freaking good and I do so much and I deserve this much. I think guys like Indomitian and Sue and Akeem Hicks or whatever, they're in a similar situation. Some of it might just be teams saying, no, I'm good. I don't really want you here at all. But I, I, I just think they probably overvalue their, their value, because they know how good they were, and, and it's disrespectful in their eyes for a team to view them at this, you know, $5 million value or whatever contract. In fact, yeah, I'm looking at Chris Wormley, $5.9 million. I, I would I would do that. I just would. I, I think it's such an important thing. We, we've got a talented defense that can never get the run defense thing right. I know we got young guys. It's a heavy rotation position. We're not really taking a ton of snaps away. Um, and hey, if, if Wormley ends up not being needed as much because the young guys are just tearing it up on the inside. Freaking great. That's great news. I don't care. It's not like bringing in a wide receiver to be the slot and Jaden Reed sits on the bench. That's a different thing. You're a defensive tackle. You do sit on the bench and then you get off the bench and you go play and then you get on the bench. So my favorite right now, even if you don't agree that we need the position would be Chris Wormley at defensive tackle. But um, I think the last one we need to address would be safety. Uh, they have Devin McCourty listed here. He, I believe, retired, so he's on the list of free agents because technically he is, but hopefully that's not the case of Wormley. I didn't bother to look at it. But uh, even at 36 years old, I'd be interested in, in taking a swing at Devin McCourty because he went out on a pretty high note. Unfortunately, just really not a lot of good options here um, as I go through all these. Again, some big names. Um, LaMarcus Joyner. No chance I want him. Uh, DeAndre Houston Carson I like because he had that pretty solid couple years in Chicago, but last year was a disaster. You could take a swing and just see if he can kind of get back to what he was. Again, a lot of this is going to come down to Joe Barry and his scheme and what specifically he's asking his safeties to do and and, and which safety. Presumably we have 
different safeties with different talents, which ones are not panning out, which one are we replacing, and, and what talents do we need to replace? That's part of the reason doing this free agency thing is kind of bunk because it's it's not just find a player and find out how quote-unquote good they are. It's it's filling specific needs. But anyways, um, Daniel Sorensen I know was a big name in, in Kansas City for a long time, but no, uh, Ronnie Harrison. And Nasir Adderley was a real big college prospect, but he never really panned out. Um, and, and his market value right now is 8.7. That's the other thing. Safeties are a little bit more expensive. So, you know, that's not great, but there is one guy, if I had to pick that I would go with at safety. Um, there's a couple, maybe question marks, um, Amani Watts or whatever, but I would probably, if you told me I had to pick someone, go with Deron Harmon. Deron Harmon is 32.4 years old, which isn't great. Um, most free agents are old. That's how it goes. Fortunately, his market value, according to Track, is only $2.9 million, so he's not liked, I guess. I don't know. Age probably is a big part of it. But he was a long-time New England Patriot, which you got to respect that, you know, especially the safeties. Man, I mean, it it's, reminds me of... if. if if Minnesota isn't the one team that makes me think safeties, it's it's the the uh, New England Patriots. The way that they have their DBs and how well that they played over the years. Uh, the last three years he spent with Detroit, Atlanta, and Las Vegas. So three years, uh, three teams, three years. He certainly declined at least the first two of those three years. And then last year when he went back to a team that kind of had some Patriot roots, the Raiders, um, his coverage went right back up through the roof. But that's the thing about about him is he's he's a really good coverage safety. Uh, always has been. I mean, 66, 72, 85, 71, 79, 70, 76. And then he had his two years, 64, 53. And then this past year was actually one of his best at 77.6. Um, he only gave up 21 receptions, 221 yards, zero touchdowns, two picks, two pass breakups. I mean, if he came in and had his worst year like he did in 2021, he'd probably still be our best safety. So <laughs> uh, I know age takes its toll at some point, but... Um, you know, the, the other good thing about bringing in a safety is who are we taking snaps away from that we genuinely care about? And and that may be a harsh way to put it, but I don't think... Um, what the heck kind of question is that? My wife just texted me. Want to hear Brinley's lunch? Do I want to hear her lunch? What does that mean? Oh, what she had for... Okay. Uh, my youngest has my appetite. Fortunately, the other three don't. She does. She's going to have to watch herself. <laughs> she... She can eat, boy. Anyways, most fans really don't feel like Darnell Savage should be here beyond this year. Shouldn't be here this year, but, you know, contract and whatnot. So if snaps are taken away from him, I don't think anyone's going to be upset. Rudy Ford, I mean, if you can win the job, great. If you can't, you know, it's not really a long-term fix. There's nobody on our team. Maybe Anthony Johnson. We'll see. You know how I feel about seventh-round picks. Despite the hype and every single draft person being like, that guy is my guy. It's the favorite pick I made. They made in this whole draft, and he's going to be a starter immediately. I hope all that's right, but until I see that, there's nobody here that's like a first-round, second-round, third-round, even fourth-round guy that you're looking at saying, I think this is a guy that legitimately can play, that needs time. And even if there is, there's two two safety jobs, potentially three, depending on you know how you want to line us up. So stealing snaps you know, for short-term benefit is okay in my estimation for that reason. So, um, yeah, really only two free agents through this little thing that we've done here. Maybe three, I guess, if you say Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, Deron Harmon, 
and uh, Chris Wormley would be the three free agents that, if things don't pan out, um, you know, we, we got a good look at the quarterback situation, and we really don't want Sean Clifford or Danny Etling or Alex Magoo to be backing things up, then Matt Ryan. If we look at the defensive tackle group and we're like, look, Devontae, still a little shaky. Brooks and Wooden just aren't ready. Jonathan Ford, I mean, I, I don't know, bro. I wouldn't mind getting a little bit of extra stabilization from a guy like Wormley and, again, at safety. You know, if Savage and Ford are your guys, cool. But um, if not, Deron Harmon would be my pick. Again, 32 years old, but whatever. Just try to plug and play something in here. But you also want to do it as soon as possible, right? You don't want to get all the way through this process and then bring in, you know, Deron Harmon. You need to get out there in these practices, really just hand, you know, especially now that they're coming back in the building. This this is step one, and it's one of the major steps. Do you know what you're doing? You, you're supposed to have been in the book this whole time, right? So I'm going to ask you some questions. Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? Have you grown since last year if you've been here last year? You know, Sean Clifford, you're supposed to be the super genius. We want to see if you can absorb everything. Did you absorb all this stuff? We'll get you on the field to see how, how you're looking and throw some pressure in your face and all that to see. But, like, are, are you ready? Because, you know, Matt Ryan might be a little bit of plug and play, especially since he's a backup and may never have to see the field anyways and understands the offense for the most part as it is. But if Harmon, the Patriot guy, is going to come in here with some different terminology and all that stuff, you want to catch him up to speed as soon as possible. So not a lot of great options, but it is still an option. It is still something to think about, and I, I do think they're going to want to... There, there are probably a lot of question marks, and I'm sure there's some guys that they've got circled in free agency if things go south. And and, um, and beyond, there's also injuries. You know, that's also a possibility, as much as I shouldn't even bring that up. Those things do happen, and then you got to start to look around. But anyways, man, we've got... How many days have we got here? Is it three days? People are in the building today, but I mean, the first practice is in three days. Is that right? Crazy stuff, man. Again, I just want to take a nap and wake up and they're playing football. That's all I want. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm ready to get started. That first practice is the first day of, of football as far as I'm concerned. So you guys have a good rest of your night. I will talk to you tomorrow, tonight, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.